Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Coach Ray Z, and this is Athletic Definition. Today, my guest is Marana. And also, this is Marana's first time on Fireside, so welcome. And Marana, the same thing, you'd have to uh, unmute the little monkey, and then you'll be able to speak. So while Marana uh, gets that figured out a little bit, I can uh, let you know a little bit about her. Uh, Marana is a personal it's a trainer. There you go. Is that it? You are in. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you, Ray. Sorry about that. No problem. Actually, I was just giving you an introduction right now. So I was letting uh, everyone know that you're a personal trainer and that you uh, are also a nutrition coach. Yes. A Brazilian uh, blue belt. Yes, sir. And also, uh, you are totally blind. And you have type 1 diabetes? I do, yes. I do. The type 1 diabetes was the cause of my sight loss. I was reading your bio, and uh, it says that it, it you know, it happened at age 9. So do you, do you remember sight before that or not really? Oh, yeah. I uh, was fully sighted up until the time that I was 26. And um, I was a hairdresser. And I literally drove myself to work um, the day before I lost my sight. I remember everything I went and I drove myself there. I worked my entire shift at the salon and um, came home and went to dinner with my family. I remember it was a Chinese restaurant and I was having some difficulty with reading my fortune cookie, you know, so I'm reading my fortune on my fortune cookie. So, um, it was, things were kind of blurry and I had noticed some like blurriness and stuff, but came home that night, watched a movie, went to bed, got up the next morning to get ready for work and everything was just a complete blur. I couldn't make out any details of my reflection at all. And so um, went to the emergency room and, um, you know, they ran a number of tests and stuff and then um, went to the eye doctor and they ended up doing... Um, four different surgeries, three on my left eye and one on my right. And um, after that, uh, everything just pretty much went away. Right after I lost it, I could still see blurs and things like that. But once they did the surgeries and stuff, my they just kind of rejected it. And then um, I was left totally blind. So here I am. <laughs> oh, okay. So, you know, I was thinking that it happened to you at age nine, but so you got diabetes no. at age nine. Yeah, I got diabetes at the age of nine. And, um, you know, it, it's, it was difficult being a kid and being different than everybody. And I mean, back then it wasn't, that was in what, 87, 80, 88. And um, it, they didn't know as much about nutrition. Basically, my doctors told me, you know, don't eat cookies or cake, but you can eat as much bread or pasta as you want and, and you'll be fine, you know. And um, so it just was a, it was a battle for a long time. Type 1 diabetes is extremely difficult. So I don't think people really, really realize that. So about 15 years after that is when you start to see some complications and stuff like that. But, um, that's what happened to me. So. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, diabetes is a growing, uh, numbers. I thought a few years ago, it was like one out of four people have it. And uh, I don't know if yeah. that's correct. Yeah. 
You know, type one is quite different than type two. There, the numbers of type two diabetes are definitely increasing because diets these days are really just wreaking havoc on people's bodies. Um, type one diabetes is actually an autoimmune disease. So um, basically they think I got a virus, my body attacked itself, it shut down my pancreas and I, I was put in the hospital for two weeks, immediately put on insulin injections and went from there. So usually type two is the result of, you know, genetics or poor lifestyle choices for poor food choices and such. And, you know, I've, I have family members who have diabetes. I'm not quite sure which type, but, um, you know, I have some that really take care of themselves and watch their diet and they're living, uh, they're doing well. And I have a cousin who's on dialysis. He just won't listen. Uh, they actually had to amputate his leg and, that, that lifestyle, the diet um, is, I know, so hard with all our processed food and sugar. It's so easy to get. Um, and so is, is that what drove you to become a nutrition coach? It really was. Um, once I lost my sight, it was like hitting a wall and realizing, okay, the things that they talk about happening are real. You know, I was really confronted with like, oh, the consequences to this aren't just something that they talk about. Because I mean, before that, you kind of think, oh, it's not going to happen to me, you know? So um, yeah, I just uh, needing to know it for my own self, to know how to control my my sugars and, and things like that and pursuing that healthy lifestyle for myself. And then also knowing people, encountering people who have type 2 diabetes and be able to share that information and stuff and just really developing a passion for it and wanting to know how my body worked and wanting to know why this happened and stuff. I'm a big how and why kind of person, you know? So I wanted to understand how it all worked and stuff. And so it's really just a field of, it really just became a field of interest to me. And I, I really enjoy sharing that with others, especially whenever they are able to benefit from it as well. And then, you know, since you lost your sight at 26, um, you know, was there a point of depression that you went through or, you know, or were you able to kind of, was there a lot of programs available to you that just kind of helped you get through the whole process easier? You know, it took me about two years. Um, I, for the first year or so, you know, we were still pursuing surgery. And of course I was hopeful after each surgery that it would take and, and stuff. And then after, um, losing that last little bit, the hardest part for me was losing that very last little bit of light perception. You know, that was, that was the most difficult part, but, um, there was a period of time where I really struggled with accepting my situation and um, for a long time, I wouldn't even say I was blind. You know, people would say, are you okay? Or, you know, if I was having, if they noticed I was having trouble, I'd be like, oh, I, I just can't see that well. Or, you know, oh, I have a hard time seeing or whatever. And um, I wouldn't admit that I was blind. And the first time that the word blind came out of my mouth, I was like, holy crap, did I just say that? You know, and so um, there was that period. But once I was able to, my, my faith played a big role in it too, you know, and realizing that, you know, God isn't um, there to just kind of give us whatever we want, but it's it's knowing that he's in control. Faith is knowing that he's in control and you're going to be okay no matter what. After that, it was kind of like, okay, well, then I guess I'm going to do this thing. And so um, I was able to accept it. And then from there, I started to pursue some blindness training. They teach you how to travel and that kind of stuff using a cane or some people prefer a dog. Um, I have a cane and, you know, they teach you how to read Braille. They teach you how to cook and clean as a blind individual and stuff, just learning those independent skills. And then once I learned that, just 
you know, just growing and developing from there, getting back into the gym, getting back into the things that I loved and just kind of finding that determination to really push the boundaries and say like, how far can we take this? What all can I do? Which prior to me losing my sight really wasn't a big part of my personality. You know, I kind of like to stay in a safe zone and now I'm just like, ah, I just want to do it all. You know, <laughs> I'll give it a shot, see if it works. If it doesn't, then I'll move on to something else. So. So then you got your personal training certification, your nutrition coach certification and your blue belt after you lost your sight or I you did. Yes. So, um, Training jujitsu came first. I was actually leaving the gym at the time. I was doing kind of more of a bodybuilding type program and um, it was great and all, but I was like, this really isn't very functional. And I was kind of thinking about maybe pursuing some CrossFit and, and stuff and um, was actually walking home from the gym, kind of pondering what I was going to do. And um, this guy pulled up next to me in his car and he got out of his car and started yelling at me, telling him to get in. I had no clue who he was. And fortunately, one of the uh, personal trainers from the gym recognized me and, and saw me and he ran down there. He's like, hey, Miranda. And he came running down there and the guy jumped in his car and took off. And I was like, maybe some self-defense wouldn't be so bad. And so I started training um, jujitsu and fell in love with it. And um then I received my personal training and my nutrition specialist certifications in 2017, um, just in trying to decide, okay, what do I really want to do? Um, you know, I do work for a funeral home, but I wanted something a little bit more uplifting than that and really, you know, enjoying. I, I think the journey really started with wanting the knowledge for myself and being able to grow in my own journey and um, really just kind of blossomed from there. I know for me personally, too, the, the certifications came for personal knowledge as well. Uh, and I know just in general, it's not easy being a personal trainer. And uh, for me, one of the things that I really like to do is checking form. So, you know, what are the, some of the obstacles or things that you've come up with to, uh, like, deal with your clients? You know, so I don't really do um, much personal training one-on-one. -on -one. I have more of the knowledge and I tend to share just that knowledge with people. But as far as programming for training and stuff, like you, I'm a stickler for form. And if I'm there, especially with blind customers coming to me or blind clients coming to me who have maybe never trained before, they've never seen what a deadlift looks like. They have no no clue about, you know, the hinging or, or how any of it works. I am not going to go out there and encourage them to start picking heavy weights off the floor, you know? So I'm very hesitant. And um, I will, you know, make recommendations to people like, oh, you could follow a program like this, but then also advise them to seek out help aside from what I'm like telling them to do. But it, it's more just for the knowledge part that I can share with people rather than doing the programming. Now, as far as the nutrition goes, I'm much more comfortable in that arena in trying to help people come up with uh, food plans and nutrition plans and sharing them with the knowledge about just food and what is good food, what is bad food and all that kind of stuff and i mean that that's actually probably more helpful than anything because they always say it's a what 80 percent diet 20 percent exercise abs are made in the kitchen yes <laughs> abs are made in the kitchen okay i haven't heard that one before so <laughs> well there you go you have something new to add to your wheelhouse <laughs> and um so how long have you actually been doing jujitsu um, so I started in 2016 and um, blue belt in October of 
2019, but of course we had COVID that hit that March. And so um, it's really been an on again, off again journey just because along the way, um, you know, I've had some issues with my health and stuff like that, just with um, like for a period of time, I didn't train for uh, probably over a year as a white belt because um, I was having some issues with um uh, they call it hypoglycemia unawareness, where my blood sugar was dropping, but I wasn't feeling it. Um, it wasn't waking me up when I was sleeping or stuff. And I was terrified of having like a sugar drop on the mat. And, you know, I feel like that's my own responsibility. Uh, my, my teammates, they look out for me, they support me, and they help me, and they're always there. But I didn't want to put that responsibility on them. I, you know, I wanted to know, okay, I have to be healthy enough and in a good place to be able to take care of myself as much as possible. And if I need assistance, somebody there is, is there to help. So um, that took a bit. And then, like I said, um, I got my blue belt in October of 2019. COVID hit. I was off for 16 months um, because I am high risk. And so, you know, I just didn't want to take that chance. I was still going to the gym and I have quite a bit of fitness equipment here at home. But I uh, actually just got back into jujitsu over the past couple of weeks and it is absolutely amazing. It just feels like coming home again. It's, it's my happy place. So I'm loving it. I'm glad. I'm glad you're back. And, um, you know, I think it's, Either you try it and you kind of like it and will quit or you fall in love with it. And since you mentioned you fell in love with it, or is your is your long-term goal the black belt? I think it's my long-term goal. I don't know. I may be 50, 55 whenever I get there, but doggone it, I'll get there. <laughs> so exactly how I feel too. I'm like, not, not so much the age. I just, I just want to reach it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It just... Um, you know, I was there the other day and, and just with, you know, life and stuff, dealing with stress and anxieties and different things that we carry with us, um, you know, constantly kind of having that feeling in your, especially with COVID and everything that's gone on, you know, everybody kind of has this fear, but I was sitting in class the other day, sitting on the mat and just realizing like, man, this is really just my happy place. I feel so calm and not stressed out. And I'm supported by so many people that, you know, they're my teammates and they're my friends and they're here to support me and I, them. And it's just, it's really a healthy atmosphere and, and it puts you in such a good, just headspace. I feel like I, I, I do love it. And you mentioned COVID and, you know, it hasn't been easy for anybody, but but uh, what would you say were probably your, we all have to change our workout routine. So what were your like favorite workouts that you kind of either came up with that you didn't do before or that you've always kind of done, uh, for, you know, to kind of stay in shape during COVID or did you just take the whole time off? No, I kept training the whole time. So I have a uh, some fitness equipment here at home. I have a I have a treadmill, and I have some kettlebells, and I have a bunch of bands. I actually bought um, some jujitsu mats here for the house, and I bought one of those jujitsu dummies. Although I really haven't trained with them very much because he needs to be broken in. So. Um, Anyway, but um, I I would just kind of develop my own strength and conditioning kind of programs. I, I really enjoy like doing um, like the high intensity kind of like a metabolic circuit where I, I do like, um, you know, some ball slams and then going into like kettlebell swings and then dropping down and doing some push-ups and, you know, stuff like that. Just little circuits that I would come up with or um, I, I even do like some steady state cardio, especially on the, you know, on the treadmill. I'll, I'll mix that up. So just constantly mixing it up, changing it up, trying to 
work um, all parts of my body as much as I can. And, um, you know, just trying to stay as healthy and, and keep as much variety in there as possible. Because you and I both know that whenever it comes to, especially cardio for jujitsu, there's really nothing that you can do in a gym that actually mimics that type of exercise. You know, it's so intense. Um, the, the high intensity interval training can help, but um, nothing trains you for jujitsu like jujitsu trains you for jujitsu. That is true. It's so hard to try and replicate that. There's times you have to be kind of relaxed at the same time active. And then there's times you got to kind of push it. So I have, I do a lot of different sports and workouts and I've never found anything to replicate that really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's tough. For those listening in um, that don't know what a jujitsu dummy is, just picture a human kind of uh, made out of a punching bag material and they come in pretty heavy weight. What weight did you get? I've got the 90 pound one. I got the one called the Submission Master. And um, he's pretty cool. He comes in. So if he were standing up, he would be, they say about a six foot, six foot one man. And um, he's got his arms with like bungees on them. So they stick out. So, and he's postured in like on his knees. So um, the, the legs and the arms are supposed to be like easier to manipulate. But I, I mean, I, I need to get out there with a baseball bat and beat him up or something because he's pretty tough to manipulate right now. But um, as far as doing like technique and stuff on him, just the way that he's set up, it's really an amazing uh, doll for, for practicing some jujitsu stuff on. Yeah, I... I so many people built their little home gyms. I went out, I bought my own jujitsu mats as well. So I'm like, well, I can go to the park. I can do it here. I can do it in the backyard. And uh, it, it's really nice to have equipment at home. Makes it very convenient. And if you're lucky enough to have the gym and do both, it's even better because sometimes instead of just watching TV, you can pick up that kettlebell or those bands and do a little bit of workout. Exactly. Yeah, I bought me a TRX for here at home. I love the TRX. And um, I do find now that um, the gym is good for me. Just I, I find myself getting more motivated. I'm less distracted whenever I'm here at home. I go to the gym with a purpose. I get in a workout and I, I, I get done. Um, plus, it's good. I mean, I have a lot of friends from the gym too, you know, so it's good to get back and still have that social aspect because I mean, it just got so lonely during COVID, just being locked in all the time and not being able to get out and socialize and stuff. So um, I do appreciate having equipment and stuff here at home for the times I'm not able to make it, but um, definitely love getting into the gym and stuff. Plus they always have, you know, more equipment than you can really fit into a room in the home. And when you first went to jujitsu, was it intimidating for you? I think that's like the biggest uh, thing that stops most people from even attempting it. So, you know, to to be blind and then go to try something new. Um, did, were you intimidated at all? I was a little bit nervous, but fortunately I found a coach um I called him up and I said, you know, here's the deal. I'm wanting to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but I'm totally blind. I don't know if that's something that you are willing to work with or you, you would be comfortable with. And he said, yeah, yeah, come on down and, and I'll work with you and stuff. And whenever I got down there, he said, I've never actually had a blind student, but I made phone calls to find out, you know, what is the best way to work with you? And, and he actually had had a blind student at the school where he had gotten his black belt. And so I think that that was really helpful 
helpful for him as well. But um, it was neat. It was a learning experience for both of us. I mean, it was completely unlike anything that I had ever done. But um, I mean, simple things that like as far as working with him, he needed to know that I could communicate to him what I needed from him. So for instance, the first time that I was there and I went in my, in my gi, you know, after I went back for the second class and I was wearing my gi, he's like, okay, come on, I'm going to show you to where, where to go on the mat. And, and he kind of grabbed the sleeve of my gi and was kind of like tugging me along, you know, like unsure about how to help me out. And so I stopped and I said, all right, here's how we do this. And so I grabbed onto his arm. We call it going sided guide. You kind of grab onto somebody's elbow and they can direct you that way. And so I think from that point, it really clicked in that he knew, okay, Miranda's going to communicate to me what she needs or how I can help her at the same time that I am teaching her to do what she wants to learn how to do. So right from the beginning, we were able to establish that good, healthy communication and stuff. And I think that really helped. Uh, I, yes, uh, good instructors always definitely help. I, I've uh, rolled with a, a blind person uh, before and a couple times because he used to train at the same gym I did and, you know, pre-COVID and he was good. Uh, he just basically, the way we started was on our knees mm -hmm. and then he just had to have like one hand touching, like we'd slap hands and like one hand kind of by like, I don't know, the shoulder and just kind of mm -hmm. feel and then we'd roll and then um, he would just be like talking to you like in a fun way, be like, oh, I'm going to choke you. Um, do you <laughs> That's want me funny. to choke you with this or do you want me to arm bar you and <laughs> do nothing but yeah when when we were rolling i did not feel sorry for him i didn't even think he was blind or anything it was just you know that's awesome two people training and um i was wondering do, uh, do you compete or it's just for self-defense and, and self-fulfillment or or do you I have I haven't competed yet. If I do end up entering a competition, I'm thinking it might be probably like a submission only one, you know, that I would train for. But um, I, it's competition isn't something that I'm big on. I do it more for the self protection aspect, um, especially today. You know, it's hard to find gyms that or academies that really teach that part of it, since so much of it is sport oriented. Um, I actually fly out to Tulsa, Oklahoma to go and train with a guy out there who teaches more of a combat or, you know, like self-defense type style. You start from the beginning from, I mean, from, from standing all the time and the, the place I'm at now actually starts from standing all the time too, which I appreciate. But, um, you know, it, he's incorporating um, you know, he's not just in mount, but he's, you know, showing me like my vulnerabilities with, hey, you need to protect your head because he's dropping elbows in my face or he's mimicking, mimicking like these real life scenarios, like, uh, you know, doing like the rape choke and different things that are potential problems that you could find yourself in or situations that I would find myself in and teaching me not necessarily how to be comfortable in those situations, but not panicking and knowing how to respond in those situations. So I do appreciate the self-defense aspect of it, just especially because I know I look like a good victim. I mean, you know, people who are predators are going to look for vulnerabilities and they're going to capitalize on those. And so, um, you know, I just try to be prepared and learn how to pre protect myself the in the best way that I can. But the sport part of it is, is fun too. You know, it's not that 
their moves probably that you would ever do on the street. Some of them, you know, if you were, but I do think that, um, there is, you know, there's definitely some good self-defense moves in there as well. I mean, a choke is a choke is a choke or a submission, you know, but I like the other part of it too, learning how to protect yourself if somebody's actually kicking you or hitting you or whatever the case may be. Yes. Uh, when I, jujitsu just has so many different aspects to it. You could do sports jujitsu or self-defense jujitsu and it's all good. And even if you just do the sports, there are lots of it that can translate into real self-defense as long as you're not doing a bunch of, you know, barambolos or. Exactly. Yeah. You're probably not going to want to pull guard in the street. <laughs> I mean, it's a great position to know, but that's not going to be your first move, you know. And one of my coaches from when I first started would always tell me, you know, in a street fight, you don't want to be on the bottom. So you always want to try and land on top of the person if you can. And uh, even though most people outweigh me, uh, I had to learn it. The, I ended up on the bottom all the time, so I had to learn it the opposite way. Um, do you train a lot with men, women, or pretty much everybody? Um, I train with everybody. Um, a lot of times whenever I roll, I, I, I roll with men or with women, but I also roll with men, you know, it's, uh, I'm an equal opportunity roller, but I think as far as like the self-defense aspect goes again, that, um, training with men who are bigger and stronger, um, is, is, is something that I need to do. You know, it's not going to be a woman, my same size and weight that, that attacks me on, on the street. So, um, I, uh, I appreciate different things about training with both. So, you know, you mentioned how you would look like a victim. Uh, I'm assuming you walk around with a cane for assistance then. I do. Yeah. I have my white cane that I use and, um, you know, there's so many, I think there's things that we can do to, to lessen our chances of becoming a victim, which are things that I try to do. Um, of course, you know, um, training jujitsu is one of them. Um, but I try to just constantly be alert and not look like I, I try to let people know that I'm paying attention to what's going on me. Because if you see somebody who can't see, really, you don't know how much they can't see. You don't know if they're totally blind or if they have some degree of vision. And so as I'm walking down the street, I still have so many of the mannerisms and gestures and stuff that I had when I could still see. So if a car is coming, like say it's passing on my right, I still turn my head and track the car like I can see it. If I hear somebody walking by me, I will will look at them and smile and say hi so that people don't think I'm just out there, you know, not paying attention at all. Um, and I, in, in a lot of ways, people that I've trained with have said, you know, you have better situational awareness than a lot of people that can see because so many people that can see even, um, they're so distracted, you know, they, they've got their faces buried in their phones. They're not paying attention to what's going on around them. And whereas I, have, am constantly listening to not what's in front of me or what's beside me. I'm listening to everything that's going on around me, you know, 360 degrees. There's been a couple of times when, um, like for instance, one time I was walking to the gym and I don't know why all my bad encounters happen on my way to the gym or from home from the gym, but um, I was walking and I was crossing the parking lot and I heard a gentleman that was coming up and he passed me on my, on my left and I, you know, just kind of said hi, whatever. And, but I heard him after he got behind me, turn around and start following me. And so I stopped and I turned around and just said, can I help you? You know, and he just 
said, oh, I was just trying to pay attention. Are you counting your steps or what? And I said, no, I'm just, you know, going to the gym. And, and um, so, um, but I stopped and I turned around to let him know, hey, I know you're there. You're not going to sneak up on me. Like I'm paying attention, you know? So, and I think that's something that everybody needs to do. We just all need to be paying attention, especially these days to everything that's going on around us. Oh, you nailed it right on the dot right there. Uh, right now with uh, what's happening, you know, in the U.S., the separation gap between uh, rich and poor, and there's a lot more crime going up um, everywhere. So uh, people are just have their face buried on the phone. They're not paying attention. It's too easy to be a victim. And uh, as uh, things get more difficult, I, I, not that that's what I want, but, you know, with all these businesses being shut down for so long, I mean, it's only obvious what's happening. So people definitely need to start paying attention more when they're out and about in the streets and you with no sight uh, have more uh, awareness and people with sight. So that's great. And uh, <laughs> do you, uh, do you go around like speaking or helping other people that have gone through, you know, what you've gone through? I do. So um, I do a number of speaking engagements just um, on, you know, whatever. I've, I actually work for a funeral home as well. So I've gone to a number of like managers meetings for different um, mortuaries and stuff and, and spoken there. But um, I do a lot of work with with veterans. Um, my heart is really working in with vets. And, and so I volunteer with the Blind Veterans Association. And my goal in that is just trying to encourage fitness and nutrition as a part of rehabilitation. Um, I feel like, you know, I didn't go off to war, but we're all fighting the same battle. You know, if you lost your sight or if you lost a limb or whatever, we're all learning how to live life in a completely new way, in a way that we never imagined. And we all need each other. You know, all we, we all support each other and we all help each other out. And, um, you know, trying to encourage guys who have sacrificed so much and probably lost so much to, you know, just pursue that healthy lifestyle just because it's benefited me so much. Um, I know that I feel better whenever I eat better. I know I feel better whenever I'm exercising and I feel stronger. And then I think training jujitsu and knowing, hey, I still have the ability to protect myself. I can still be a part of a team. I can still contribute to something that is bigger than myself um, is healthy for the mind and it's healthy for the body and the spirit and emotionally and everything. I just think that um, if I can influence people to stay away from the bottle or stay away from the pills or, or whatever it may be, um, then that's definitely something that I want to do. And um, I feel like as well, um, there aren't that many other countries where as a blind female, I would be able to go out and not only fight for myself, but have people who are eager and willing to teach me and know that if I ever had a problem, they'd be there and ready to help. You know, if I, they'd be there and ready to fight for me. And um, I mean, I've worked with people in other countries and like, um, you know, Vietnam, for instance, a woman with a disability there or somebody with a disability there, they're basically told by the government what they can do. Your, your, your potential is limited by people who think, you know, you can do this or you can't do that. And here I can explore that as far as I want to go. You know, I can do whatever I want to do. And it's because of the people that have sacrificed all of it for me. And um, it's just a small way that I, that I can give back. But um, I certainly do work with anybody that's, but my, my heart is is definitely with and uh, with working with veterans. Uh, that's great insight. You know, something that maybe a lot of us never really think about that here you get the opportunity to explore and do things. And I mean, they do, I've seen or, or and learned about more things for people with all types of disabilities. So if you want to pursue it, um, 
that's great to know. And I didn't know that in other countries, it was kind of like that situation where you don't really have that choice. Yeah. Yeah, they they you're not really allowed in some places to explore your own potential. I mean, in certain places in Africa, um, you know, women who are 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 dis- disabled, they're seen as being undesirable and they're thought that they're virgins and so it's also thought that if you have sex with a virgin it'll cure AIDS and so so often they're raped and 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 so just taken a advantage of and abused and stuff. And the government just kind of turns a blind eye to it, you know? And so um, I'm just so fortunate to live here in America where I have the ability to to do whatever I want to do. And so since you do have that great freedom and um, what is next, what do you want to do? Uh, I know you want to earn your black belt. What other ambitions and goals are, are you working on currently? You know, so I am right now I'm certified as a nutrition coach. Um, I would like to delve a little bit deeper into that, I think, and maybe go for like my registered dietitian's license or um, something like that. Um, so in if I had that ability, if I could, I could actually work from a, cause right now I can make nutritional recommendations from a fitness or, you know, like a, a health standpoint, but I'm not allowed to actually treat disease with food like a dietitian does. Like, okay, if you have heart disease, this is what we need to be doing. Or if you have diabetes, this is what we need, we need to be doing. So that I would love to do and probably actually work for the VA. Um, because I mean, in a lot of the guys there, um, especially guys that were in like Vietnam, they were exposed to, you know, Agent Orange and they have type two diabetes. There's a lot of guys that are blinded and stuff. So I think that, uh, maybe that's something I would like to pursue, but, um, you know, I, we've got one life to live. And so I just say to do it all, <laughs> do whatever you can do. That is uh, so true. I, you know, just growing up, I experienced a lot of death, family members, friends, and it's just a reminder to, uh, instead of just being sad that they're gone, it's like, be grateful for every day that you have and, you know, make them proud that you're not wasting your life and, and go do something with your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, working in the funeral industry and stuff too, you know, seeing a lot of that and um, it's that constant, you know, confrontation that we have, we're constantly being confronted with knowing like, we never really know when it's our last day. And I mean, that's been another thing with these shutdowns, you know, they've talked about locking things down again and stuff. And I feel like I spent 16 months locked in, you know, just hoping not to die. And at this point, I'm just kind of feeling like, you know, I just want to go out there and live. Whatever life is left, I just want to be able to go out there and live, you know? And why sit indoors and and sit there and just wait and hope for doom and gloom stay away, you know? So there's no guarantees. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Yes. And, you know, some of these other effects of just being at home, like depression and they say suicide rates have gone up and spousal abuse and child abuse. So there's other factors that, um, you know, there's so many other risks just besides COVID that you could get struck by a car. I mean, you have a really good chance of dying in a car accident. Most people do, especially in California. So we go out there every day and we put our lives in, in some sort of risk. Uh, now with, uh, some of these mass shootings anywhere you go, I mean, technically that could happen and, what are you going to do? Stay home for the rest of your life or go out and live the life and see what happens. Enjoy yeah, it. 
I don't think we should be careless. You know, we should always be mindful, but still not just handicapping ourselves, you know, and, um, you know, working with the funeral home during this, you know, during COVID, um, we had more deaths from suicide and overdoses than we did from COVID. Now there were a significant amount of COVID deaths, but we had a lot of suicides and overdoses. And I think people just found themselves in this mental state that they couldn't get out of, you know, and, and we're looking for things to help them cope or to, to end it all. So, um, you know, I'm thankful that um, I was able to maintain a healthy mindset and, um, stuff the whole time. I think that having the ability to train here at home and stuff like that definitely helped. Um, I'd have been really going stir crazy if I didn't have anything to do, but hey, we can always do something, right? Grab a rope and jump rope or do something. We can always make fitness work somewhere, somehow. So um, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's good to just be able to live now and get back to life as usual. And I I hope it stays this way. Now, uh, you're in California, correct? I am, yes. So you mentioned about the dietitian and and you know being a nutritionist and what you can legally give out, which is funny because there seems to be a little loophole where if you're an online coach, that doesn't apply to you. You can give out nutritional like a diet plan. So I you know I'm not really quite sure about that. I guess as long as you're not physically meeting the person, it's okay. But that's something I recently learned, which. Uh, might be a good topic for the future. I got to dig yeah. in a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, I know there's certain states, Arizona and Michigan, where you know you're supposed you you can um, explore or prescribe outside of the parameters that are limited in in all the other states. But I didn't know about the that about the online thing either. And um, I certainly, I mean, I just try whenever I'm coaching people as far as nutrition goes, I just try to give them good solid. Um, nutrition information, even teaching them like, what does good nutrition look like? What are the macros? Why are they important? Like, why are these things important? Why are the micronutrients important? How do you make sure that you're getting a good solid diet, you know? And, and so I'm um, just, I think educating them on the basics. So they're not going from fad diet to fad diet to um, trying to figure out what's going to work the best, you know, and realizing like this is an entire lifestyle change and uh, really coaching people to get them out of that temporary mindset. I think pe when people hear the word diet, it immediately gives like this temporary type mindset and they don't look at it for the long term because they want that quick fix. And so just really trying to get people to see it as, okay, this is a long-term thing. And you're not going to find a nutrition plan that you're going to be able to stick to for the, your, the, the entire duration of your life. I mean, as we get older, our needs change and, and um, things like that. So everything's going to have to change and evolve and just teaching them how to, you know, change with it and how to, how to grow in it. Yes. Uh, I've, I've mentioned that before where, uh, you know, competing i do a lot of marathons so what i could stomach in my 20s is not what i could stomach now uh, and that doesn't mean that it's not a good or bad product or good food it's just at this point it doesn't work for me and it, at that point it did and i always tell people you know don't don't get married to the idea of any food or that i have to do it because i did it so many times learn to listen to your body and and what it takes um and then with the online thing, it's pretty funny because to work as a trainer, personal trainer, you you in the gym, you need a certification. But in on online, it's kind of like the Wild West. You don't need to be certified to be a personal trainer or a wow. coach. Wow. 
you just got to say you're a coach and you're yeah yeah that's interesting you really have to be careful online with who you're hiring yeah yeah i i mean i think you and i kind of both have the same heart in that you don't want to put anybody into a situation where they're going to be compromised either with their health or their fitness or like their their body or anything like that they're not we don't want them to get injured but there's a lot of people out there too that are just looking to make a quick buck you know that really don't kind of have that mindset so um people do need to be careful and so what would you uh say is your best advice for people that are kind of uh you said it's type one diabetes and it's mostly, uh, if I understood right, you're kind of, you were born with it. No, I developed it whenever I was nine years old. Um, I, I had gotten sick and, um, lost a bunch of weight really rapidly. And so I went to the doctor and they ran all sorts of tests and, um, got home and they said, you need to bring her back. She's diabetic. And they stuck me in the hospital for two weeks. They taught me how to give myself injections and check my blood sugar and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, it's been an adventure. <laughs> and since you got diagnosed so young, you know, all those adjustments you mentioned and, you know, I know people that just don't like to prick themselves to get the blood. I know there's different things, but, uh, you know, what would you recommend to someone maybe listening in that's just got diagnosed with that and and uh, is feeling a little lost? What would you say would be your best advice? My best advice to them would be to, if, if they have type 1 diabetes, to definitely talk to their endocrinologist or their primary care physician about seeing a diabetic educator. And um, not being afraid to um, really find how their body works because living with it in it is for so long, I have found that doctors oftentimes know what the textbook says, but oftentimes our bodies don't agree with what the textbook says. Like what the textbook says doesn't actually work in real life application. So um, I was fortunate in that I was able to find a, a doctor that is not only an endocrinologist, but is a type one diabetic himself. So he understood the frustrations in, you know, trying to deal with, with blood sugars and insulin and stuff. I mean, insulin is a wonderful medication, but it's also extremely toxic. The, the therapeutic window for it is so narrow. And I mean, the amount that helped you yesterday or worked yesterday today may not be enough or it may be enough to kill you. And so we really have to be paying close attention. We really need to know how food affects our body, how, how exercise our, uh, affects our body, how, you know, different types of exercise affect our body. If I go to jujitsu, I know that I've got to go in there starting at around 200 um, milligrams per deciliter in my blood sugar, because as soon as, as soon as I walk out, it's going to be down to 80 or 90. I mean, it burns so much glucose, but if I'm going to the gym and I'm going to be lifting heavy, I know that I'm actually going to have to give myself some insulin because that muscle breakdown is going to cause my sugars to elevate and stuff. So, um, we just have to really be smart whenever it comes to knowing how our bodies work, because your body is not going to work the same as somebody else's. I found out um, whenever I lived in Colorado that the altitude affected my blood sugar. So um, the most helpful piece of equipment that I have been able to find so far is a continuous glucose monitor. Um, I personally wear the Dexcom and um, what that is, so if you're doing finger sticks, even if you're poking yourself, you know, five, six times a day, you're getting a glimpse at what your blood sugar is at that time. You don't know if your blood sugar is going up or if your blood sugar is going down. 
And so the continuous glucose monitor, it's just a small little device. It's about the size of a peanut in its shell. And you, um, you wear it and it, it goes, it has a little wire that goes right in under the skin, like, like a quarter inch and it monitors the glucose. So I get updated glucose readings every five minutes. So if I'm at the gym and I'm on the treadmill, I can see, um, you know, my blood sugar is 120 and it's steady or is it rising or is it falling? Is it rising rapidly or is it falling rapidly? So before I'm actually having a problem, it, it helps me to be able to act and to treat it appropriately. And and um, it really helps to keep my sugars within that recommended window so that you don't have so much fluctuation, which in turn is going to help avoid a lot of the complications. If I had a Dexcom whenever I was first diagnosed, I wouldn't be dealing with the complications that I have today. Wow. So I, I'd never heard of that device. So since it's so small, can you wear it during jujitsu? Yeah, I do. Um, I wear mine on, you You have to have an, an inch of pinchable fat. So they wear, they recommend you wear it on the abdomen, but I don't have an inch of pinchable fat there. So I wear mine back in the hip and I don't even feel it. If I'm out rolling and stuff, um, you can get extra um, uh, adhesive stuff to put over it and an adhesive patch to put over it to, to help give us a little bit extra stickiness so it doesn't come off during training. I haven't ever really had that issue though. So it, it stays on there and it, it works just fine. And um, what it does is it sends glucose readings to my phone every five minutes. And if I go out of range, I can set the parameters. So if I want it to alert me, uh, I have mindset to alert me if I go above 200. So if I go above 200, it, it alarms. But if I go below, you know, like 80, then it alarms as well. It also will let me know if I'm at 120 and dropping rapidly and I'm going to have a severe low within 20 minutes. The beauty of it too is that you can connect it to five other phones. So if I'm in, you know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and my family is here, they can't get to me if I'm having a problem, but if um, they see that I am having a problem, they can at least call the hotel or they can get help to me if they know the address that I'm at. Because, I mean, those are real emergency situations. You know, if I go unresponsive, then there's a good chance that I could die. So it's nice to know that other people are there and they're paying attention and that they can be alerted as, as soon as I am. So. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And is this uh, an app or that alerts people? And do you pay a monthly service fee to have that option? And around how much is that device? Um, I don't know what the device costs out of pocket. Insurance does cover it. Um, Medicare will cover it. And um, you just need to get your doctor to write a prescription for it. And uh, they will, they'll send it to you. And um, the app and everything is free. The monitoring is free. And um, I mean, it's, it, you, I, I use the app because that way I can use voiceover. It does actually come with a receiver, um, but that doesn't have any speech output or anything. So I can't use it independently, but it, it does come with that. And um, man, it's, it's really a great device. You know, we've uh, had conversations at different times and every time you mention something, I'm like, man, those are things that I never even considered as a person who isn't blind, you know, and just some of the conversations we had in the past, like you mentioning just going to the bathroom and how we just take so many things for granted. So I really appreciate you, you know, coming on and just giving some insight to uh, how other people have their daily life. Yeah. Uh, Oh, public restrooms. Yeah. I remember having that conversation. Public restrooms are a nightmare. <laughs> I guess, I mean, we see with our hands, you know, well, the last thing we want to do when you go into a public restroom is touch everything. Like you want to touch as little as possible. So that's uh, one of my, one of my worst 
things. I, I hate going to public restrooms. <laughs> right. And those are things that, you know, maybe us sighted people just never even consider, you know, sure. go to the bathroom and no, it's no big deal. You know, although I do know a lot of people that just can't seem to uh, go anywhere but home. But I think, yeah, other issues right there. <laughs> I know people like that as well. <laughs> And so do you have uh, anything you'd like to promote? Do you have any, uh, uh, I don't know, charities or anything like that? Any any events coming up that you're promoting? Don't have any, anything really yet. I mean, I do um, a lot of webinars and stuff like that. Most of those are, are geared towards bite diabetes. I'm looking forward to things opening up, back up, so that I can get back into doing work, you know, with like the veterans groups and stuff that I work with. But um, I'll definitely keep you posted. I mean, if, if people can follow me on Instagram, if you follow Ray, they can follow me on there and stuff. And I, um, or, or on Facebook, wherever, and Clubhouse, wherever. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've, I've always got my different things going on. I'm looking forward to doing some traveling. And, uh, you know, the beauty of the jujitsu community is that wherever you go, it's like, it's like home, you know, you're welcomed and stuff. And so looking forward to getting out and doing some traveling and training with some of the people that I've gotten to meet on Clubhouse and other places and stuff. So, uh, you know, just waiting to see where life goes. You know, things are just now starting to open up. I'm hoping it stays that way so that I can continue to, to plan and, and do those types of things. Yes, uh, the jiu-jitsu community is great. I'm looking forward to meeting a lot of uh, the out-of-state and international friends I've met. Um, I went ahead and put your Instagram on. We have a little fortune cookie here on Fireside, and I could pretty much put a link to whatever. So it has your okay, information. Great. If anybody wants to reach out, uh, network, sponsors, anything like that, I'm sure you're open to it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm always happy to like go on podcasts or whatever I can do. I mean, I feel like education is the best thing in helping people to understand and to work together and, and stuff. It benefits all of us. And, you know, I, I'm you are my 11th episode and I'm fairly new to all this, but I think, oh, an hour is not too much to ask someone for their time. And then it's not really enough at the same time. There's so much more that you could like deep dive and talk and just so much fascinating conversation in in my opinion. So I would definitely love to have you back on in the future uh, and we can get into subjects a little bit deeper now that people kind of know a little bit about you and then next time we can deep dive further. Yeah. And now that I know how the app works a little bit better. <laughs> no, it'd be wonderful. You're doing fantastic for this just being your 11th episode, man. I thought you'd been a seasoned professional. So fantastic job to you as well. It's certainly been a pleasure. And uh, this is live, so it's like uh, right now it's broadcast. It'll be available immediately, and then I'll have it out by next week for everybody else to hear. And so it's been quite an experience, but uh, I've just loved bringing on different guests like yourself. Uh, that you know, I know somewhere out there, there's people that need to hear this, and hopefully, it reaches their ears. Um, there was times in my life growing up where it would have been nice to know someone was going through. Uh, what I went through, someone that sounded like me or, or or was my same nationality or anything like that. But, you know, females could relate, relate to you. And uh, that's, that's just something I want to reach out and accomplish in my podcast. So thank you so much for being on here. And uh, I look forward to having you on in the future. Yeah. Hope everyone enjoyed listening to episode 11 of Athletic Definition. My name is Coach Ray.